Hey, family thrivers. Welcome to this bonus Ask Me Anything podcast episode with one of our amazing Family Thrive experts. Each week, we record an AMA live in the Family Thrive app where we take members' questions and ask the experts directly. Members submit questions throughout the week and can even ask their questions live on the show. In the future, these AMAs will only be available to subscribers. So if you like what you hear, learn something new, and want to be a part of future AMAs in the Family Thrive, then head on over to thefamilythrive.com and sign up today. Welcome to our first ever official AMA. We had an, uh, an, an AMA with Audra and I a couple of weeks ago. This is our first one with a live guest, the amazing Everwise, Ginny Walters. Um, and so how these AMAs are typically going to work is we are going to get questions from parents throughout the week. They're going to write into the comments. Um, they are going to message us, chat with us, and then they might also join live, but we're really just taking in questions after podcasts go live. And then we get the podcast guests back so we can uh, ask these follow-up Continue questions. the conversation. Continue it's almost like a live pod, in-app podcast, like a yeah. private podcast. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. And it's a special yeah. thing just for the, the uh members right yeah yes. just for the community subscribers nice only yeah subscribers i even have an idea of recording our podcast this way um so that our community members can be kind of like a fly on the wall when we are in podcast recording behind oh wow kind of behind the scenes, behind the scenes. live like a live studio audience exactly <laughs> exactly what i was thinking i think i i was watching the Fresh prince of bel-air with Maisie, which i'm so proud that like she she uh, asked to watch it, like a very proud parent moment. And I was like, oh, I could do it that way. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. All right, so let's, let's, just, let's just jump in. Let's just, okay. let's just do this. So I, I will ask the first question that we got from a parent. So okay. um, we I'm had nervous. a lot of interest. Okay, <laughs> here, here we go. Should we take a deep breath? We, we, we had a lot of interest about highly sensitive people. I think this is the first time a lot of people heard this oh. term. Mm -hmm. I think... Uh, intuitively, we all know we have highly sensitive people in our lives. For example, Audra knew that she had a highly sensitive person in, in her life, <laughs> but we didn't know this was like uh, some actual term of art. So, um, yeah. there was, so this this parent wants to know how they can support a friend or a family member who may be an HSP. Uh, when they seem to spend a lot of time engaging with news and social media that is very negative, um, while it's critical to be informed, um, this type of information affects someone, or we're assuming that affects uh, an, an HSP in a more acute way, and may right. even have a debilitating effect on their life. So, how do you know? How do parents help maybe their doom scrolling partner? Um, or another family member. Okay. Man, right out of the gate with like a couple's question. <laughs> that is like, that is intense. Um, well, okay. So I'm a big fan of staying relational and telling the truth, you know, with, with tact. And so 
I think what I would say is you first have to, we'll just to validate that yes, media consumption um, has an impact on us, all of us. Um, and some of us can feel it more intensely than others or are maybe more aware of it than others. Um, and so just to start personally, I think if you can just kind of check in with um, tracking what feels good for you and what doesn't feel good for you in terms of, I like to set a timer and just notice at what point I start to feel bad. Like when I'm on Instagram and really it, I can only last a couple minutes on there and then it's like time to bounce. Like I just, yeah. it just doesn't feel good to me. Um, so I, you know, catch a couple people in the scroll and then I'm like, bye. And that's fine. You know, in terms of a partner, um, uh, how to best support. I mean, I, I, it's funny because the reason I'm hesitating answering this question is I'm already feeling into the defense of the person oh who wants to watch, who wants to consume <laughs> the media, because oh, I think yeah. a lot of times when there is um, a compulsive behavior around media consumption, there's a real um, defense around like this idea that I need it and that it's serving a purpose. And that if I don't have it, I'm, I'm, I'm not uh, present to the pain of others in the world or I'm, I'm just living in a bubble or there's a lot, I think there's a lot of, um, I don't even know if this is true for this person, but I am just feeling into like, Ooh, like, like, a it's good. It's you're going to encounter some pushback if you reflect this to your partner. So and, I, yeah, I'm wondering, I, cause I'm feeling that especially kind of with the term doom scrolling, right? Like, um, I think that there is a difference between kind of feeding fear anxiety, trepidation, uh, and, and even developing a worldview of, you know, kind of like in a scary place, right? Um, and then someone who, I feel like Justin, I mean, I, I think you're a, a media consumer, like a really, really powerful media consumer. I Why feel like, you know, that? I get my news from him. Like, I'm just like, tell me what's good. Give me the short, tell me what's going on. But mine is news. Like I'm not but I, you're I but know. the main difference is you're not doom scrolling you're like i like I'm need to have some factual check-ins in the world and know what's going on and it's not feeding uh like fear-based narrative so that's what i'm sensing to be kind of like potentially a, a difference here and then i'm wondering if what the correlation is in the first place to highly sensitive people or highly okay, sensitive right person. well and so to answer the the, fir the first part of the or maybe it's the second part of the question, how to support your partner. I, what I would do is I would reflect to them what you're noticing and how it mm. impacts you. I feel disconnected from you mm. when you are scrolling CNN or watching it. I notice that at a certain point, something shifts between us and I feel disconnected. And I notice you go to a negative place and it's hard to, to feel close to you. I mean, kind of try to keep it relational because ultimately when we try to change somebody, you know, if you come in with that attitude, it's not going to work. So Never. it's really right, about right. reflecting the impact it's having on, on your relationship. And then can we talk about it? Can we know about it? Um, the correlation for HSPs, you know, for, so H just a little background HSP, um, Elaine Aaron is a psychologist who's done 30 years of research in the field. And there's been other research, but she's really the main person. Um, who discovered and named this as a personality trait. It's it's a, in about 15 to 20% of the population, which means it's too many people for it to be called a disorder. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of controversy around the languaging in the world of psychology that is pathologizing, but so it's not a disorder. It is a personality trait. 
Um, and what it means I mean, is we that- We could also call it a superpower. Well, you could. I mean, but it's got its shadow side yeah. too, because it's a real yeah, pain in the sure. butt to to, sure. to sense so much. So it doesn't make you more. So I think what gets tra- uh, confusing for people is they think it means that you're more caring or more understanding. That is not the case. You are more sensitive in that you are having a more intense and um, uh, deep and not deep in like a, poetic deep, I mean, like in a, in like a processing level, deep sensate experience. So you are, uh, gathering information consciously and unconsciously from all of your senses, as well as energy, emotional, and your brain is chewing on it in a much more kind of intense and deep way than the rest of the population. Mm. And, um, for a child, this results in overwhelm pretty easily and quickly. And for parents who don't understand that this is going on, what happens often is that then the sensitivity gets shamed. It's not understood. And um, then we start to create a whole um, kind of pathology around the sensitivity, but it's not the sensitivity. It's the reactions that we've gotten from it. Um, So- Real, real, uh, real quick follow-up on this. Uh, for HSPs, are they more likely to engage in avoidant behavior because something else might be so intense that yeah. they need? And so I'm wondering if this scrolling activity, because I certainly recognize in myself a desire to scroll Twitter. I like Twitter is just like a safe space for me. It's not a negative space because I follow reporters and researchers. It's like my, but I do recognize that now this tendency that it's like, oh, something's something's going on. Twitter's a safe space, and I'm and I'm feeling the avoidance as I go into Twitter. So, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, it is avoidance is absolutely a coping strategy for highly sensitive people. I was just writing about this a second ago about how um, transitions are can be really tr- tricky for HSPs. Even for me as a kid, the transition from day to night. Um, was a really anxiety filled time for me. And um, I would, the way I would deal with it as a kid is I would just hide in my room Mm. uh, and just try to avoid everything that's going on in my family. But just the, just the, the nature the time of the day just really freaked me out as a kid. Um, So avoidance is absolutely something that HSPs do a lot of. And we also, we, we also can oftentimes be very, um, uh, kind of codependent people because we can work really hard to avoid criticism, to avoid any kind of conflict. Um, because it, 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 if we didn't get any support around it or understanding, we just don't know. We just can't handle it. It just really just feels like we're not fragile people, but it can feel like there's a fragility because you just don't it have feel intense. It yeah. feels really intense, and you don't know about your capability in handling it. Tools for resilience how to take breaks. So there's a difference between avoidance and like a conscious break. So for me with media consumption, I like to get my news from a couple of places. I will bookmark things and check in what, you know, I can't read this right now, but I want to know about this. I'll bookmark it and I'll tend, I'll go to it later when I'm feeling more resourced. So that's one strategy. Whereas I'm married to someone who can scroll CNN and all the time. I couldn't do it. 
and I was doing it for a period of time in, in the early days of the pandemic. And I quickly realized that this was not, um, mm-hmm. this was not helping me be resourced to actually be a help in the world. Yeah. You know, yeah. there was like yeah. a confusion that this was somehow my responsibility to be reading all of this and somehow, but I realized it wasn't resulting in me actually being of service because it was just depleting me. So that was kind of how I figured that out for myself. It sounds like a really powerful mix of permission and mindfulness kind of, or, or being mindful of, or, or being, um, self-aware I should say. Um, but if you feel like, and if you're raised in a way of no, no, you're fine. You're fine. It's okay. There's nothing wrong. You're fine. Um, kind of the minimizing and, you know, and I guess that can be sort of like avoid lead to avoidance and in, in how you know difficult this can be. And then that shame around it, then if we don't have a um way of developing the self-understanding and embracing it and and yeah. then providing these tools that you're you're providing with um, you know, in order to um in a in a very healthy and self-aware way progress in the world, then you could drown in this stuff because shouldn't you? Right. Like all the should, shouldn't you be able to just be on social media? Like why, you know, shouldn't you be able to do all of right. Oh, Audra, I think you're right. And I think that permission key is huge because when, how you are is not acceptable, we start doing all kinds of contortions because we have to stay attached to be okay. So and it just becomes really painful and confusing. So I work a lot with like clients who've been diagnosed with neurodivergent um, presentations like ADHD or, you know, or a high sensitivity even, you know, and when we get the ADHD confirmation, it's so normalized. It's like your mm, brain yes. is beautiful. It just processes differently. And you grew up in a culture that didn't in any way support the way your brain's your brain processes. There's nothing wrong with it you know, you're good at some things that, you know, because of this and not at others and vice versa, but we grew up in a culture that valued one way. And then what we really have to work on in therapy around that is that is the shame is the symptoms that come as a result of not, it's not that it's the really not about the brain processing. It's not about ADHD, right? It's about the shame that you've been told your whole life that you're dumb or you're not doing it right. 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 It's about Um, everyone else's responses. Yep. To yeah. You. And this environment that you have to grow up in. I mean, I think of that with, with our daughter, with dyslexia and how liberating it was to be like, oh, oh, you know, my brain works differently. This isn't, you know, my problem at school. Right. You know, and how beautiful that was. I know a lot of people don't like to what I've heard from others is like lean on a diagnosis or whatever, but for many of us, it can be totally liberating. Um, yeah. And it doesn't we don't see it as a diagnosis. It's, it's an, to me, it's orienting to, oh, I and I that. think as we grow our knowledge, our language, our language is already evolving around this term, like neurodiversity. I mean, like mm-hmm. we're, we're growing more abilities to language it in a way that feels less pathologizing, you know, and that's yeah. great. But for the time being, you know, we use terms like ADHD, dyslexia, you know, and, and it's helping pe- it's helping people orient to the reality of their experience. I mean, I, my whole life, I was oversensitive. Um, I, you know, I needed to get over it. What was wrong? What's wrong with you? You're, you know, like you were saying, and so I had all this shame around my sensitivity. I thought I was weak. I thought it meant I was incapable. I mean, I just, all these stories, 
it kind of reminds me of when I had a, my thyroid stuff was going undiagnosed mm, and I right. had a story for 10 years that I was lazy. No, I had really profound fatigue and brain fog from an undiagnosed thyroid disorder. I was not a lazy person, but I conflated that because every, all the doctors were telling me, we can't find anything. You're fine. I knew I wasn't, but so the story became, I'm a lazy person because I just literally could not hold my head up from the fatigue. So anytime we can find language to normalize this, I think is, is a help and give people permission to just be having the experiences they're having. I love to hear about this expansion of language. Um, I love to hear about, cause it's such a, prof- makes such a profound impact. Um, and this is coming from a world where I think like I'm prone to utilizing this language or the pathologizing diagnosis just because of Max's diagnosis. I feel like I live in a, in a world of utilizing diagnoses, like, uh, you know, in labeling in a sense of identification, you know, and identification with others. So, but we also live in an institutional environment where if you don't get a diagnosis, you don't get particular resources. Mm-hmm. So, so there's like a whole bureaucratic regime around diagnosing uh, and the needs of folks. Yeah. 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 And it goes both ways because I know people who are so, because the diagnosis and the diagnostic model has been so misused, and, and especially in the world of psychology, there's been a lot of abuse that's been. Um, inflicted because of it. And so then there are people who have a diagnosis and won't get resources because they want to distance themselves from the diagnosis. So they don't want to get the medication that might help or so it can be, you know, it it drives us into these, these extremes, these all or nothings. And that is always kind of a a painful place for us humans. (laughs) You know, it's more complicated, more complex than that. Absolutely. I, well, I want to go back to the question like really quick, because it made me think like I, um, we were, we were talking to you and in, in the space of working with you and in the space of, uh, Justin working on the family thrive, he had this realization. I am, I think I'm a highly sensitive person. What, you know, um, what about this question? We got this question from somebody who might have, it sounds like realized potentially that, that, that their partner or someone in their family is a highly sensitive person. And they're seeing what they believe to be some of the, uh, some of the effects, like some of maybe the coping mechanisms or whatever it might be, um, and how that's affecting them. So you mentioned, of course, to just speak directly into the impact it's having on, on their lives personally, when they bring it to the partner, is there a, uh, is there a way that you might introduce this to, to in, in, in a partnership or a friendship or, or family relationship? I mean, What's, what's a way to share what you've learned about highly sensitive people in an effort to reach out to someone who might be a highly sensitive person? I feel like saying, okay, so Audra, how would you have said it to Justin? If you'd heard, <laughs> yeah, yeah. if you'd heard this description, like, do you have a sense of how you, you would have yeah, brought it to him? I think it would have been like, I think you're a highly sensitive person. I just heard this thing today. It was like, it was really, really cool. And I think that that it resonated with me for you, but I don't know. And you want to, you'd want to check. It I out. think I score high in openness. And so I would be like, Oh, cool. Let me find out more about this. Yeah. I, I, I think, I honestly think that would have been my, 
knee-jerk. I, I agree. I think it yeah. depends on, you know, again, I, I can, you know, it's like, there are partners who just like, I'm like that too. Just like, Oh, there's, there's some, there's another way of understanding this. Tell me, you know, yeah. cause you're yeah. a four too, right? Justin. Yeah. <laughs> right. We got, we're like, you're outnumbered Audra. Um, <laughs> yeah. But um, you know, again, I think like what you said is just um, again, just to tell you, tell your truth. Like, Hey, I, I, I heard about this. I'd never heard of it. And it reminded me of the way you experience the world and it's special. It's really cool, but it's not without its challenges. And I, 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 I'd be, I would be interested in what you think about it because it makes mm. me wonder if there might be some ways to, that I, as your partner could support you in it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I want to pick up. I just want to be able to have like a translator, you know, like one of those little Jenny's like an app that Jenny voice comes out when I talk. It's like Jenny, Jenny says it. Yeah, <laughs> because instead of Italian or whatever, many of us would <laughs> like would want to say, "Hey, I found out why you're so weird." Yeah, explains it well and i mean believe me it's easy for me to sit outside of it and be like you know say it in this really relational way and when i'm inside of it you know like for years even before i understood hsp you know like i this is the example i go to so people probably get sick of it but like i cannot handle overhead lights can't oh not. my god that's right i think we talked right? about this in the podcast yeah. because yeah you and me oh my god oh it's so and, true yeah and you know my wife and i would like we would get in arguments, but she'd be like, you know, she was irritated. You know, can I turn the light on for like five seconds? I need, no. you know, and I would literally like cover no. my eyes and be like, that's I guess. me, that's me, Tino, oh, yeah, Tino, and the kids yes. too. They're like, Dad, I, I, I need to see. Well, the neighbors, I, like, I need to brush my teeth. Like, no, the neighbors, like when we moved to here to Georgia next door, the neighbor was like, I've been meaning to ask. The lights go out in your house really early. Do you guys go to bed that oh, early? <laughs> <laughs> well, like, when I nope, learned I just live with the, uh, when I when I when I learned about circadian rhythms and circadian lighting, it was I mean it just like poured in like confirmation bias because it was it was like oh now I have a reason for turning off every light in our house when and and I grew up with like warm light in the home at night you know no, it's like yeah. that warmth of like and it's dark and I can't see that well. And so it really complicates things for me. You know, I like to have like a little warm glow and I like to be able to see. Yeah. So, but you know. for listeners, there is this added benefit that when you turn your lights off at night, even if it's hard to, you know, you have like small lights on in the house, go around, your brain starts produ producing melatonin and then you can actually go to sleep at a decent time. And the reason why so many people ha have, yes. And the reason why so many people have a hard time going to sleep at night is because they are flooding their eyes with light. And mm -hmm. that light is going through their eyes, sending signals to their brain that it's daytime and it's still time to and party. I, right? and, I, and I agree with you. You know, I totally have experiences myself and, and, and all that, but it just helps to understand why like it's at another level yeah. because of this highly sensitive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. an HSP person, Justin, might be sort of naturally attuned to what it, that's happening, mm. where that that feeling that you're like you could I'm not that you can feel melatonin growing in your brain, but that you could actually feel into off. the experience yeah, of yeah off. feeling off and yeah. and for someone who isn't wired this way probably wouldn't notice I don't know I don't want to repeat myself but did we talk in the um in the podcast about the 
the TV wires in my house and getting the TV mounted. Did I tell you guys that? I don't think so. so. Okay. So Tina and I bought this TV to go above our mantle because we didn't want it to look like a TV above a mantle. We got one that kind of looks like a piece of art when it's turned. We got the same one for for ours too. Yeah. That was our like quarantine splurge. Well, so when we could have someone in to help hang it, finally, we had this man come in and hang it. And, um, so we're enjoying it the first night and the, the cords are hidden now, right? Oh, They're like yeah. behind the wall. And I was like, oh, thank God, those cords, <laughs> you know? And Tina was like, oh yeah, I, I, I oh yeah, I, I, it does feel much better, but I, I, I just never noticed them. And I was like, I noticed them every day oh, of my, yeah, every day, yeah. those cords, uh, yes, it would just totally. drive me crazy. And for her, she could feel how nice it felt to have the cords tucked away, but it didn't it even wasn't cross t- her yeah, mind. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it just it didn't, wasn't. It didn't come across as intense to her as it did to you. No, and so we're just constantly picking up those um, those nuance, those little yeah. details, and then they and then it can just feel like nails on a chalkboard. And then you know, yeah, you can feel a little high maintenance when you're making everyone turn off all the lights. When I go out of town, the first I don't thing she does is turn on all the lights. Uh, I don't feel I I I feel perfectly reasonable. But like then, if we were in an Airbnb all together, he'd just go turn out all the lights. There wouldn't be a like, hey guys. So oh yeah. Okay okay. Enough about me. All right. So <laughs> we have a question uh, from Alicia who asks, "How is it best to support an HSP without falling into walking on eggshells?" Oh yeah. No, you can't walk on eggshells. You have to speak to it directly. And and I think if you're walking on eggshells, you can just talk about that. Like I'm, yeah. you know, I'm feeling invited to walk on eggshells and I don't want to be in a relationship Ooh, like where I can't speak honestly with you. Down. I'm feeling invited to walk on eggshells. I feel like this is like a big thing for me, for <laughs> my, like my work. And I'm like, I really like this. Do you feel like you need to walk on eggshells with me? No, not with oh, you. Oh, no, no. Yeah. Okay. okay. Jenny, we were going to do some live therapy right then. If, if, <laughs> oh God, I know. No, I, what, I, what I hear Audra saying is that the phrase I feel invited, was that with a part you were picking up on? Yeah. Yes. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, that's a, yeah, that I've used that phrase a lot and probably people maybe get sick of it, but, it, but it's true. I'm just, it's the truth. It's like, I don't know that this is what's happening, but I'm just letting you know, this is what I feel invited. And so let's figure out like how much of this is mine. And then what, is there a part of you that is inviting me to walk on eggshells? Like, is there a part of you that's braced for a you know, a, a response. Yes. So, um, so sorry, the question again was how to, so how to support on. a highly sensitive person, uh, without having to walk on eggshells. So maybe we can just, uh, I, I think we can take the eggshell part. You, I think you, that, that, that was a beautiful way to say it that like, let's discuss how I'm, uh, you know, how I'm feeling about, uh, you know, having to walk on eggshells. Um, so let's, let's just focus on this part. How can we support our HSPs in, in our lives? I'll listen up. <laughs> I mean, I think you can just ask them what would feel supportive. I mean, the thing is the HSP has got to do the work of knowing about this part yeah. of themselves and how yes. it gets, um, 100%. activated and where they get over. I mean, that that's really where a large part of the work is. And so if the question, you know, as a partner, if it's like, Hey, I need you to take a look at this, like I'm down to support you, but you've got to figure out what you need around it. Um, and then I can let you know whether or not I can do that or not. You know, maybe we, you know, have 
some in some days where overhead lights are on and you have to, you know, find, go in the room. I don't know, make some kind of uh, compromise here, you know? Um, So, but I would just ask, what do you, what, what would feel supportive? Um, So Jenny, one, one thing that is coming up for me around the work that HSPs need, need to do, and that can, can be supported um, is learning how, or just practicing being with intense feeling. I think as an HSP myself now, self-diagnosed, a lot of my life, especially in childhood and adolescence has been, um, trying to manage really intense emotions and then finding ways to, to just avoid them or suppress them. And, and I, I mean, I, I remember as a young adult, one time my brother called and I picked up the phone and he said, it sounds like you're asleep. And I was like, Oh no, it's just the middle of the day. He's like, wow, like it really sounds like like you're asleep. And it just, it was like a flash. I was like, I have been trying to modulate or like tone down my inner voice, my, 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 my outer voice. I've, I've been just like trying to tone down everything in my life to make it less intense. And now it's coming out in my phone calls with my brother. So anyways, were you, hmm. were you high? No, no, I'm just asking because (laughs) it, because, um, it like, it just occurred to me. We talk so much about um, using substances for different yes, types of avoidance. No, in high school, I absolutely and, used cannabis it, to how do many this people very use thing. Cannabis yes. for this reason, I'm sure it's got to be like a powerful way to like tone down the environment. Yeah, unless you're an HSP who does not do well with drugs or alcohol, and then it gets right here. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, there yeah. was no uh, now, real escape for me. It would no just send me escape. into a deep, deep paranoia or depression. Yeah. Real fun, fun times. Um, but what was the question? (laughs) So, oh, it was, I I was just talking about the work that HSPs. Oh, right. right, right. And at least for me, it's been practicing how to be with intense intense emotions. Absolutely. I mean, this is, this is what it is. It's about, and, and, starting to tell yourself a story of like, I can handle this. I am having an uncomfortable experience, but I can handle discomfort. Like I'm okay. I don't like the way this feels, um, but I'm okay. And then what are the tools that help you regulate? So for me, timeouts are a big one. Like I am getting, and I'm getting much better at knowing when I need a timeout. So I don't reach the, the threshold um, time alone is really, really important, but there are extroverted HSPs. They are the minority, but, but they do exist. But introversion is, is a big one for a lot of HSPs. It's we, we absolutely need to, um, quiet down the, the sensate experience. We literally need space around us, energetic, you know, lights, sounds, smells, everything to just give our brain a break from constantly absorbing and computing um, information. So time alone is a big one. Um, And knowing that, oh, this is just how I'm built. Okay. I I guess it just, it's like having a relationship to it. Like um, I'm, you know, I'm very fair skinned. I have to wear sunscreen, you know, it's like, or I will get sunburned and then I will be in pain. And 
that could be dangerous with skin cancer, you know? So it's like, this is just, yes, it affects my emotions and my moods, but that's just that, but those are just a part of me, like any other part of me. I think where we start to get in trouble is when we start to make up stories about it or with partners, like make taking it personally. Like if my partner has, uh, you know, a frustration, my nervous system just lights up. And a big part of our work has been me differentiating from that and knowing that she can have her reaction. She's human. And yes, I don't like the way it feels in my nervous system. I absorb it. I can't help it. And it's not personal. There's, you know, it doesn't have to turn into a tussle between us that I, but I may need to remove myself for a second and calm my nervous system down. Mm. Um, I love that Jenny. Okay. You Jenny, know, real quick. What, I, I mean, what are, Oh yeah. Go on, I was going to say like, I'm hearing the breaking down of the shoulds, yeah. uh, in this, which I really, really love, you know, honoring that your partner has a response that is or or a way of responding that might be triggering to you, especially in that you, we don't have to get in the space of you shouldn't respond like that. And you shouldn't respond like that, but we can take, you take time. Um, It's so beautiful, not be so, you know, reactive at that moment. And you have the ability to take your time out and, and then your partner can honor that. Well, and I have to say like, you know, my wife has, has really done an amazing job of making space for my need for space. Like that used to really oh, hurt huge. her, you know, right. that I would need to go away. And I get that. And she really heard me when I was like, it's really, it is the only way I know how to regulate myself. Um, and, and then when I'm, when I'm back in my mind and my body, I can be here with you. But when I get tipped over and, and I'm just like, there's just too much happening. I, I am no good. It's a law of diminishing returns. Like it's not going to be good for any of us. And she's different. You know, that's not how it feels for her. So for her to make the space that I can go away and then know that we're going to come back together. That's been a huge way of supporting me as an HSP. Beautiful. Mm, I love it. Alicia just asked the very question I was going to ask. Alicia, okay. thank you. Yeah. I w- wanted to know more about how you uh, calm your own nervous system. So Alicia asks, what techniques, methods do you recommend to calm and regulate the nervous system in the moment? Well, so, so I, yeah, so I'm interested in the moment, but then I'm also interested when it's no longer the moment, because I am a firm believer that when our nervous systems get activated, even after the moment passes, we're still carrying that, like the body keeps the score. And so how can we do it after the, the, the moment as well? So in the moment, and then maybe later that day. Okay. And well, I'm going to add into pref like pre-moment. So start educating yourself. If you go on Elaine Aaron's website, take the HSP quiz. If this is you start educating yourself. So because the more you, it becomes a part of an understanding of how you function in the world, the less it'll freak you out when you get triggered and activated. Because when we get activated, we just forget everything. And it's like, oh yeah, oh, this is what's happening, right? So do that that pre-work. And also part of that pre-work is I get in the habit of doing body scans. So for me, that looks like, what am I feeling on the inside and what am I feeling from the outside? So what am I feeling physically, emotionally, what are my thoughts right now? What energy do I feel coming at me? What emotions do I feel? Because I can pick up, you know, we pick up on other stuff. So what is mine and what is theirs and how are those mingling? So getting in the habit of doing those body scans. 
so that when the moment comes, you're not, you're, you're, you've got some preparation. You've done some preparation. You know yourself in this way. In the moment, timeouts. So starting to track, you know, once I get past a six, that is timeout. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta go. Um, so what's a six feel like for you? Um, in the moment, um, I'm a big fan of, um, I'll, I'll just start doing, this is like an EMDR thing. I'll just start tapping myself back and forth, back and forth. Um, which is, you know, I, I don't know how, how much people know about EMDR, but it, it lights this part of your brain on, on, brings your cognitive, uh, your prefrontal cortex online. So you're not just in your fight or flight place. Can you show Um, us what that looks like? Yeah. I mean, you can do a butterfly hug. So I'm just tapping back and forth. That's a really, that's a calming one. Actually, you would want to do it slower. Um, that's a, that's a way to calm. Neela's just watching. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Can we just Um, watch you do it? (laughs) That's a different video. Um, (laughs) then there's, uh, four, seven, eight breathing. I'm a, I know this is, this is, I'm a huge fan of four, seven, eight or box breathing, which is just four, 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 like four in hold four, exhale four. Um, you know, just anything that will engage, that will take me out of the moment and and engage some kind of expression. So, um, I mean, in somatic experiencing, what we would do is we would check in and ask my body, like, what do you want to do? And sometimes it's like, I want to go like this, you know, it's like, okay, yes. then just oh, you're let yourself, my language. Yes. let yourself do it and you will feel better. Like let your, your body, like trust your body, um, to do it, you know? And then, so Jenny, it, it, um, can this be done long after, like, let's say, you know, you get triggered in the day, your, your things are too, too much is going on to really go through all these, these things later that night. Is there something, can, can we do some of these things? Is there a way to access that activation and then express it? Good question, Justin. I mean, I don't know, as, as an HSP, like I would find by, by the time it's passed, I am probably in my check. If I haven't processed it and dealt with it, I'm in checkout. I'm, I've, I'm probably in my avoidant kind of checked out place. Is that, would you, would you say that would probably be where? Well, yes, except that with the open method that I've, that I've put together, um, and that I do every Wednesday in, uh, the family thrive app, it's designed to help bring that stuff back. Okay. Like let's so observe and then to kind of sit with, is there anything going on? And I mean, if it's just a little buzzing in the belly or maybe a little tightness in the shoulder, whatever it, it is, then can we get as close to that as possible so we can bring it back? And it's really just trying to bring back the activation so that we can understand it a little bit better. And then if we can understand it a little bit better, then we can express it. Like the somatic processing that you show, that's exactly the, so open is observe, process, express, and then nurture at the end. But yeah. the I mean, express I think- part is, is just crucial. And you know, like whatever the body's wanting for us, huge stretches or deep breaths or, or shaking or, you know, whatever the body wants. I mean, I think you've answered the question there. I think that's a great technique. And, and I think, I think what I would add to it is just, again, a deep compassion and understanding. I think when you're a highly sensitive person, it's very easy to have grown up with this idea that you are 
a lot and that it takes a lot to feel better. And it turns out it doesn't. And, and emotions are fluid. They, they come and they go. Energy is the same. It's like, it can feel so big and, and something as small as, as, you know, punching your, the air for a second can actually bring relief. But I think a lot of us will get in our heads about it and think like, it's going to take some major, you know, therapy session or big ritual to get this feeling better. It's like, I equate it to like when you're hangry, you know, and you go in the grocery store and you think, okay, I need five rotisserie chickens (laughs) and I need, you know, because I'm not, and then you have like half of a kind bar and you're like, oh my God, I feel so much better. (laughs) You know, you're, when you're in a dysregulated space, your gauge of your needs is totally out of whack. And it turns out you actually maybe don't need that much. So something is, you know, simple as and let it be expressed it just for even a few moments can make a huge difference. So it sounds like things so. for, for NHSP and just in, in our culture are, are complex because you've got the process of knowing, you know, yourself normalizing, you know, kind of developing these, these processes to, to deescalate and to, and to, um, you know, I don't know, it seems like kind of come forward in the world with all of the multi-sensory, you know, things that we're exposed to and people and kind of work with that. And then the shadow side is not only for a highly sensitive person kind of in the work um, that you mentioned, but what society and what, how we're conditioned to um, see this negatively or to, um, you know, kind of like the, the negative take on it. It seems like the, especially as parents, something that is difficult for us when we, we learn as we grow up to, to minimize what someone's going through, if it's uncomfortable for us, I'm trying to transition into, um, talking about the HSP and, and, and I think there are insights for all of us because it feels like, you know, we are all maybe potentially somewhere on the spectrum of highly sensitive person. We are sensing. Yeah. Right. Like, You know, I, you know, I really like that formulation that it's a spectrum, like it's not a dichotomy. Yeah. Yeah. I I do too, Audrey. I just want to say, you know, it oftentimes can feel as though people who identify as HSP or empaths, this this idea that we're like somehow special or better or, you know, and that is not the case. It's just a different way of, of taking in information and processing. And I agree it's on a spectrum. So yeah. Yeah. And I think there are probably, um, different qualities. Like I identify with the wires. I don't think Justin identifies with the wires. You know what I mean? Like, I um, do. there's a wire right there. That he has a sensitive stomach. I do not. <laughs> um, yeah, there, I, but, but there are various, like, I really, I can, I can definitely see how those who are on the highly sensitive side of the spectrum face all sorts of different challenges, um, just in a really, in a world that is so fast paced uh, with the addition of social media and the internet and all of the things that are coming at us today, um, advertising TV all the time. I mean, we used to just have cartoons like, you know, Saturday morning now, like, you know, it's a, it's a banquet and buffet of cartoons all the time. If one was, you know, a child is, is, is wanting that, um, it's just a more difficult world. I feel like for HSPs plus you have the kind of unrecognized stigmas that I think as parents, you know, we don't realize I've been learning a lot of this 
a lot about this from the group Curious Parenting. They bring up a lot of really great points. And some of that is coercion out of your feelings. You don't really feel that way. That's not really what's going on. Right, right. Right, right. Um, I mean, that is it's like powerful to then have to 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 face that. Um, so considering this conversation that we're having, I'd love to bring us into the what's turning out to be the post-pandemic world. And you know, one of the things that we've been seeing a lot about is like that there are more kids are gonna face social anxiety, for example, um coming into the world because of what things have looked like for the past year and a half. So I wanna talk about uh, the return of social anxiety and what this, what this post-pandemic world might look like for highly sensitive people and any of us on the spectrum, really, and how we can start to, uh, approach our coming out with what I think might be increased mindfulness about mm-hmm. what in the world has triggered us that we weren't yeah. really paying attention to before. Right. Have you noticed this in yourself, like coming back into the world? Like, uh, what are some of the things that you like, you feel like you're noticing that we just were like, pushing away. No, 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 not a big deal. Not a big deal. Just got to deal with it. It's just how things are. It's normalized, even though it really shouldn't maybe doesn't have to be, I should say. Um, yeah. What's your experience been so far? Yeah. And that's so interesting. I was noticing that my wife who is very extroverted has been making a lot of plans and, um, you know, with vaccinate, you know, fellow vaccinated friends, which, um, and I, um, tend to be more of the, like, go along to get along. I have to have a lot of awareness or it's, it, it can be challenging for me to assert my needs and my boundaries. This I know about myself, I'm working on it. Um, and so I was kind of checking in around, you know, we had a full weekend last weekend. We're getting a full weekend this weekend. I was like, Oh, I think I might need to pump the brakes a little bit on this and talk to her about, what I may want to participate in and not participate in. And, um, this is meeting a post pandemic need for her, but it's actually maybe pushing me a little too quickly into a post pandemic place that I'm not actually, it's, I could see, I could sort of feel myself getting a little like overwhelmed. Like it's just a little too much, like needing some downtime and not really having any, like going straight from a work week into a social week, back into a work week. And I'm in a people profession. So it's, so just kind of tracking that and noticing yeah. it and, um, and trying to be aware and then having to then express it, you know, and ask for what I need. I would like to say, Audra, to your point about this post-pandemic world, I wonder if this mindfulness that the, the um, quarantine, I think for a lot of people had to face things they didn't maybe pri- weren't facing prior. It was sort of like right up in our faces. Right. Wouldn't it be nice? And this may just be a Pollyanna wish here, but wouldn't it be interesting and nice if we lived in a world that was more sensitive mm-hmm. and that pandemic was the turning point for that? Oh, absolutely. You know, because more people are now experiencing their there, it, there was less distraction for a year. And so it created a heightened sensitivity. Yeah. And what if that could actually be valued instead of something we're just trying to get back to normal? Because normal in our culture is sensitivity is a weakness and, um, and it isn't valued. And that's not true in all cultures. There are cultures where sensitivity is absolutely valued and it's thought of as understanding and it's, um, 
it's considered a positive attribute and it's nurtured. So that might be a pipe dream, but it would be, I would love it if that were a part of our conversation as a, as a post pandemic, uh, a thing that's developed post pandemic. I'm totally with you. I'm totally with you. Like, let's not go back to normal on so many different levels. Let, let us not, let's just, let's not just revert back to pre pandemic. Yeah. There's so many different things that, um, across the board, and this is one area where I think we, sh- we could learn and take it forward and say, you know what? I don't want to be overly scheduled. Like I was, I don't want that in my life again. Um, yeah. I don't, I mean, one of the things that I've been, um, I was just talking to a friend on the phone earlier about this, um, today is FOMO, right? And so maybe coming out of the pandemic is like, I don't want to engage on social media the way that we did before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't want to return to that. I do want to have boundaries with it. And I'm not afraid that my business won't do well because we're not on social media all the time or that I won't be connected, you know, and just kind of like, uh, how I do think in this space of sensitivity, you have to have the courage to buck the status quo. And we've had, uh, an opportunity for the status quo to change a little bit and to help us, you know, along with that. But in this conversation with a friend about FOMO, it's really interesting because you hear about it with like young girls and Instagram, right. Or whatever, right. Um, Right. Snapchat. And this is a conversation about boys, uh, middle school boys, like, you know, like Max, um, getting back out to the world and the parents, their FOMO, like, is my kid in that group or not? These are things like I have never talked about. I've like, I've never, you know, been in, uh, a space of, of really realizing it's like this FOMO thing is not just about the little girls on Instagram or well, young girls on Instagram. Right. Yeah. Well, and you and I were talking about it as as business owners, I think it's a big part of the marketing talk that we're peddled, which is you got to be on all the social, you know, why aren't you on TikTok? I can't tell you many people told me I need to get on a TikTok. And I'm like, it's not going to happen. I am not going to go on TikTok and be like, with like ADHD symptoms, you know, and like, like a it's never going to happen. I mean, I'm not going to go on a media, on a, on a platform that makes me anxious, just looking at it. Like, right. Right. But it's not for you. It's not, it's for not you. for me, but yeah. I could feel the pressure of like, well, you're really missing out. There's a big audience and you, you know, and that could really, you know, help the business. And I'm just like, yeah, I, you know, where, where is that self-sabotage or is that a a mindful choice for myself around? That's just not the way I'm going to run my business. And I, and I think that that can be okay. How many decisions did we make pre-pandemic from a place of scarcity and anxiety? uh, Absolutely. So Ginny, I wonder if there's a parallel thing for parents here with their kids of, oh my God, my kid has missed a year and a half of everything. And so now their summer needs to be triple booked. And we've got to make up for it. Like we've, (laughs) yeah. Like, right. And so for the next several years, we're going to try to, they're going to play five sports and (laughs) yeah, yeah, at once. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I just, I don't know. I feel like that. I understand that impulse, but I think it, it, a, I think it, it pushes us past that place of checking in around what actually might feel good and might feel nourishing and replenishing. And I don't know if going zero to a hundred after the year that we've had is really where that's at. 
It also to me feels like a denial of what we need to grieve, which is that, yeah, we, 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 I don't know when I say a lot, we lost a year. I mean, we had a profoundly challenging, painful year. It was a different year than we're used to having. And we have to acknowledge that and grieve it. And I think when we just try to get back to normal, um, we're in resistance to what is. Yeah. I, I had I had a good friend who suffered a brain injury, and for um, when she was recovering, so the the first half of recovery was like I've got to get back to what I was. I got to get. And it was this real fixated thing on getting back to where she had been, and the turning point came when she accepted that that is not happening. And the more I insist that that's how it has to look for me to be happy, the more I'm in suffering. And what mm-hmm. I really need to accept is that there is going to be a new me and it's different and it, and it, and it's, it's, it is because of this turning point and that's okay. And when she could come and do some acceptance around that starf started, it, life started to flow and open up and, and change again. So it feels yeah, like you, something like that. Oh my gosh. I love that idea of grieving. Like I have come to see grief as life giving in a way that I did not understand it before. And yeah, that's, I mean, to grieve the year that, that was, that was challenging, that so many things had to change so many, uh, you know, really important life events had to be put on hold or might never, you know, happen again. But the answer is, is to grieve and then come into the new reality and the new Present. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let, what if we could allow COVID and quarantine to, to change us and not, yes. not resist it and not re- need to rush back to something, you know, like what if we could allow for this, it, this happened, you know? So how do we mm-hmm. allow for that and, and the ways it changed us? And, and Cause they aren't we, all bad. Right. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot that I'm grateful for in that as well. And I think, I mean, can't we sit down and say, you know, I mean, even if it's an overt family conversation, like, can't we sit down and say like what we would want to keep changed, you know, like what Mm -hmm. we don't want to go back to what we do want to do differently, what we have learned, what has been impactful for us as we're moving forward. And I definitely think overscheduling for me personally is something that I don't want to do. I had a taste of it going back to California for a week. Yeah. Um, uh, Serene knows this all too well. And Jenny, you saw part of it, you know, it was like, dang, I can't, I just, I can't keep up. And I don't, I don't want to keep up, you know, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. um, I think there was some association that I had personally with filling up the schedule and being busy with like some kind of progress, Mm -hmm. you know, like, I don't know. I, and, and, and I don't, I think, uh, you know, I don't see it that way. What happened, you know, w- with the, with the pandemic opened up the sa- space for us to move and to make some very deliberate changes in our lives. And I really look forward to both personally and, and in our business, you know, um, be very mindful as we move forward of how we want to do this. Um, but I know we can get kind of easily sucked back in, which brought me to the FOMO thinking of like, this is just like almost reactionary, you know, we're just like going right back the graduation like, uh, you know, or promotion, all the Instagram pictures are going up, all the families, all the things, all the places people are starting to go, all the things that people are starting to do. And it like, you know, kind of, I think it's creeping 
reaping back in for people. So I love the idea of the timer. Like what are the things that we can do to not go back to FOMO? Let's not go, let's not, not go back and do that anymore. Cause we got a little bit of a break from it. Yeah. I feel right. like with, with the pandemic and lockdown, it was like, Oh, there good. was permission to, yeah. to be still. There was permission yep. to stay at home and, and not be busy all the time. Yep. Well, and then maybe that, I guess where I go is like, okay, well, what if I turn toward the fear, which, so if I'm afraid of missing out, okay, so I've missed out. Okay. Then what, what can I, can I handle that feeling? Like, okay, what have I missed out? Well, I've missed out on a story because I don't actually know what I've missed out. Right. Right. I see a picture, but I actually don't know what I've missed out on. So now I'm missing out. I'm, you know, like, I just kind of try to like, like whatever I'm afraid of, I just try to turn toward it as much as I can. And then it usually becomes like that monster under the bed. It's like, oh, it's not really a monster. It's, I can tolerate missing out, you know, I can, and and maybe that then lets me know, oh, I wish I'd really planned a vacation and we didn't take the time. And now let's do that. Let's sit down. Like, I don't know. So what I think what, what we need is for people to only post on Instagram like the most mundane parts of their vacations. Like I want to see them waiting at an airport in like a long line. Do you remember that port? Wasn't that a Portlandia episode? Was it? When they went to Paris. Oh, I and don't they, know. Weekend, it was like the worst weekend ever. <laughs> and they posted one picture and people were like, oh my God, they had the best uh, time yeah. in Paris. Yeah. 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 Like, like think about like your blender post. Think about what you, you exactly like. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> think about what you're putting out there in the world. Yeah. Only broken blenders and long. So I'm hearing you talking about not just on the consumption interaction part, but on the production part, like yeah. really, really looking like, at what you're save those beautiful, perfect photos for your own personal library. And then on Instagram, post the realness and like support other people. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm all for it. I'm trying to do that. I mean, I, you know, I'm on Instagram. It, I mean, it's marketing and, yeah, and, yeah. and I have someone helping with me because I don't like doing it, but I do try, I do try to be authentic on there. And I'm, I'm, you know, I mean, I'm just me totally honest. Like I'm torn about it. I'm torn about whether this is really contributing anything. I really want to be authentic. Is it authentic? You know, like where does that performance of authenticity mm-hmm. come in and all that? I don't know. You know, I'm, I don't know what the answer is, but I'm, just experimenting and I'm down to talk about it. I think it's because it's such a big part of our lives and it's such a big part of so many lives of like the people that I work with. So I want to understand it and I want to understand the impact it's having, you know, let's talk about it on the next podcast. Yeah. I got to go. I have minutes. Oh my (laughs) God. All right, Jenny. Jenny. Thank you so much for your time. (laughs) Okay. And we're going to talk to you really soon. Yeah. No, I I could talk for hours with you guys. I love you both and your family. And I'm thank you for having me. And love you too. Please give my love to Tina too. Okay. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Bye.